We are perhaps all familiar with the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, We find it here on Jesus' lips in the sixth chapter of Luke's Gospel, verse 31. Let's put it in its context. Jesus has been up on the mountain and he has set aside his twelve. He has called twelve to him uh, to follow on his ministry after he has died uh, on the cross, been resurrected and ascended into heaven. They don't know that yet. Uh, But he has called aside a band of twelve. It would not be lost on people hearing this to make the connection between the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of the Old Covenant, and what Jesus is doing with the 12 disciples who will be apostles, messengers of the New Covenant. So having set aside the 12, he then goes on to start to tell them about this kingdom life that they are to live And that is God's realm, God's rule, God's way that has now broken into the realm of the enemy, into darkness through the incarnation, through Jesus, God-man, coming to live amongst us. This kingdom reign has already come in. It will not come in in its fullness until Jesus returns, but it is now present And so he begins to tell them what that looks like. And he says this, that in God's kingdom, his favor, his blessing, they will be blessed. Those will be shown, his blessing will be shown to the poor, to the hungry, to the grieving, to those who are excluded, marginalized, insulted, and rejected because of Jesus. They will be blessed. And this is a worldview completely upended from the Greco-Roman and Jewish culture of the day, where it was thought that if you had honor in an honor-shame society, if you had honor because of wealth and power, that was because the gods had looked favorably on you. Interesting, isn't it, that even today in our culture, That's a thread that kind of runs through our culture, even amongst some Christians. But clearly Jesus is saying that's not the way of God's kingdom. His is an upside-down kingdom, or truly his is the right-side-up kingdom, and we're living in an upside-down realm of darkness. So this is the way that Jesus is telling the disciples that they should live. But the Beatitudes, the blessings, the woes, the blessings and the woes of the Beatitudes are just the beginning of his teaching to his disciples. In an election season, aren't you just exhausted? I mean, tired out. Tired out by nastiness. I'm exhausted 
just in my Facebook and Twitter feeds. You know, people who I know and love who face-to-face would not say the things that they say in cyberspace and yet feel completely free to rip one another apart because they don't see each other. What, what has become of us? And Jesus gives us this challenge. Think of the people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and lavish generosity on them instead. Think about what you'd really like someone to do for you and do it to them, for them. Think about the best you can do for the worst person and go ahead and do it. Is that even possible? Is it possible to do that? Well, Jesus wouldn't be asking us to do it if it wasn't possible. But you see, these sermon, what what's come to us as the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, it's he's coming down from the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, so he's a little bit further down. So the Sermon on the Plain, it's not quite as extensive as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but he's not giving that to them as a rule book. He's not asking them to do that in and of their own strength, like this checklist of things that we should be doing. So that, okay, I did that one. Um, I did that one, partially did that one, did that one. So that at the end of the day, we end up thinking that we're mor- we've been morally successful throughout the day. We'd be no better than the Pharisees, who he takes to account so often, who are spiritually prideful. No, we can't do it in and of ourselves. Because we're looking at, what we're looking at in the Sermon on the Plain is God's own character. We're looking at what God is like. That's why it's God's kingdom. That's why it's his rule, his reign. We are to be like God, the God who is generous to everyone His reign, his provision falls on the just and the unjust, who is astonishingly merciful. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is, in its totality, a picture of a loving, generous, forgiving, humble God. Remember Philippians, Philippians 2. This is Jesus who is the exact representation of the Father. In him we see the Father who took off glory, who emptied himself, became human, and not just any human, but a slave for all. And died on a cross 
That's the amazing love and generosity and mercy of our God. And we are to be like him. And we just need to look at Jesus to know how. And he right puts it this way. Jesus' whole life was one exuberant generosity, giving all he'd got to give to everyone who needed it. You remember the scriptures. He was on his last ounce. He was so tired. His body ached. He needed to go away and sleep and pray. And one more person came needing healing. And what does he do? His compassionate heart just reaches out and heals. He pours all of himself out. That's the God we worship today. Jesus knew the extravagant love of the Father because he and the Father are one and he came and lived amongst us and showed that love and generosity. Now, of course, we can't have God's own character in and of ourselves. We can't follow a checklist to become, to receive the transforming power to become like Christ. But we don't have to by ourselves. And that's some of what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. We have been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, God's personal and powerful presence living in us. Externally, we are sealed in baptism, but that's an outward sign of the inward reality that God's Holy Spirit has knit himself to our spirit. His Holy Spirit... Listen, his Holy Spirit lives in you. Just sit with that for a minute. His Holy Spirit has sealed you. Sealed to your spirit. So that the transforming work of being transformed into Jesus is not done by you. But it is done to the extent that you allow God's power working in you to do what it is there to do. To transform you into Christ. Kingdoms of darkness will rise. Daniel talks about it. They look like beasts coming out of the sea. Kingdoms of darkness will rise. But what does he say? The holy ones of God will inherit the kingdom. The kingdom. The only kingdom that will endure. The kingdom of God. That will come in its fullness at the end of time when Jesus returns. But is even now in this world. And in us because the Holy Spirit is in us. Because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
And so when Jesus gives this challenge, no, we can't do it in our own strength, but we can do it if we allow God's Holy Spirit to be transforming us into Jesus, into the likeness of Christ. And so that every time we get really, really angry and want to hit blump, 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 send, we don't. Not because we have the power to do that, but God has the power to do it in us. The kingdom that we are called to bring into existence is God's very reign and rule right now through the power of God working in us. A reign and a rule where holding on to anger is unknown. Where people no longer have to have their own way when it means trampling over the desires or needs of others. Where individual rights are surrendered to the greater responsibility to the community. Where we love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, pray for those who abuse us. Do you know anybody who actually lives like that? How many communities do you know of where people People live according to the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But this is the standard that Jesus holds out for us. The one that can be accomplished through the power of God working in us. It's a generosity of love. You know, yesterday evening, we gathered for a fundraiser. The much more powerful thing about gathering yesterday was the love that settled over that community that just poured itself out in fun and fellowship and family. And you know, the littlest amongst us spread that love. That little baby May went from one table to another just with her arms out and puckering up for a kiss. And we all just just gathered into the love, into the outpouring of joy. This child It's true, isn't it? They can show us how to love. We don't truly know how to do that anymore, but they do. She does. And she showed us how. So if we can do it amongst ourselves, can't we also do it for those who are seen as our enemies but are not? Can we as a community not just love amongst ourselves, but can we do unto others as we would have them do to us? Wow, what a community we've